This episode is brought to you by the Young Farmer Business Program, an initiative of the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries. To help you get the skills you need for the office, not the paddock, visit youngfarmer.nsw.gov.au. G'day everyone and welcome to the next episode of Future Farmers Network Mentor of the Month podcast. The Mentor of the Month podcast is an opportunity for us to speak candidly to individuals who are passionate about agriculture for the purposes of not only learning about their career to date, but importantly gaining some valuable insights from those of whom, even at a young age, are mentors and leaders within the agricultural industry. My name is Amelia Shaw and today I'm joined by Public Affairs Manager for Crop Science at Bayer, Ali Bunton. In her role at Bayer, Ali looks after government and stakeholder relations in Australia and New Zealand. She's a city girl whose passion for agriculture started at her role at Department of Agriculture and grew at New South Wales Farmers Association. Welcome, Ali. Thank you for having me. So lockdown, we're both based in Sydney. I believe it's day 52 for us. Um, what's keeping you sane? Comfort food? What's happening in your life? Um keeping me sane I think I got a puppy just before lockdown started um so training her um and just watching her progress has been I think really helpful for me she's a little companion to have here um in our house um so that's probably one major thing it takes a lot of time um also you know the best reality tv is on at the moment so the block and the bachelor and masterchef was good um I think what's been keeping me going is just finding one little thing every day to look forward to. Um, so that's, you know, whether I have a catch up with a friend um, or it's, you know, the night to order Uber Eats or something like that, uh, taking it day by day, really. Yeah, the the COVID puppies are a thing in my neighbourhood as well. Um, I'm very envious of everyone. And you're right, there is some good reality TV. I'm, I'm a Survivor fan myself. So uh, yes. our listeners, please don't judge me for that. But um, <laughs> it, it's great. Um, and in good Queensland outback, um, uh, I suppose, landscapes there. So it makes me miss home, that's for mm-hmm. sure. So I suppose, Ali, in the intro, we outlined or I outlined that um, you're a city gal. You're, yep. You refer to yourself as a generational city dweller, I've read in the past. Um, so you don't give us a bit of backstory who is Ali where did you start I think you studied politics and environmental science at um, UCID but mm-hmm. um, yeah over to you. Yeah so I've always lived in the city um, both Sydney and Newcastle. Um, I did my bachelor's degree at Uni of New South Wales in environment and politics and I think that was before we had like a thousand graduates in environment a year there was about three of us um, and it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't super like science focused. It really brought in, you know, business and politics and economics and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, so from there, I went over to the Department of Ag in Canberra. Um, I'd say Canberra is probably the smallest place I've lived so far, um, apart from a, a brief stint at an agricultural uni in the US. Um, and I was really like looking to get into the environmental sector, but I ended up at ag and I was like, oh, you know, I'll just stay here for a bit, see what it's all about. And then, you know, find a job in environment. And I ended up staying at ag cause I just, I loved it so much. That's great to hear. Um, you know, quite often you do hear, um, individuals start out in department of ag, but particularly in those grad programs, it's a stepping stone, but, um, yeah, it's great that it, it stuck. So you, you then moved on to, to New South Wales Farmers. Um, how long were you there for and, and what really, what projects did you work on? Um, you know, you and I've worked previously on things to do with income protection, insurance, yes. but yeah, what, what, what made the transition to a farming association? Yeah, so I was about four and a half years in the department um, and 
the, I mean, the bureaucracy is for a certain kind of person. Um, and I really admire that kind of person because they can do amazing work there. Um, but for me, there were some of the reasons were that I, you know, I never got to actually talk to farmers when I was there, like I was making all these policy decisions on their behalf or implementing something and couldn't see how that was playing out in the real world. Um, mm. And then I guess the other thing is like when you're in the bureaucracy, it's really hard to challenge decisions. So, you know, if you think there's a better way to do something, um, it, it doesn't really matter if the if the ministers decided that's the way it's going to be done. Um, and I kind of wanted to be on that end where I could, you know, shape opportunities and policy responses, um, you know, do a bit of testing and seeing what worked rather than um, having a real top-down approach to it. Um, so New South Wales farmers gave me a great opportunity to move home, um, back to Sydney, back to my home state. Um, I was there about the same amount of time, so four and a half years, and I worked on livestock um so intensive sorry extensive livestock so sheep cattle goats wool um which was a bit out of my comfort zone but I'm glad I did it um and then I went back to my natural home of crops um so I did grains horticulture um biosecurity chemicals gene tech um and I also looked after our young farmer council um so all our members under 35 so that was where I kind of had some exposure to future farmers before. Yeah. Um, and I think my my biggest campaign that I worked on was Q Fever. So that was leading a national campaign, um, looking at increasing access to the Q Fever vaccine, but also making people in regional communities um, more aware of the disease and, and how they could protect themselves. And that got us some really good political wins. Yeah, I, I think, you know, watching... Um your work from the outside when I worked at um, Ag Force Queensland Farmers, like seeing the work that you did on Q fever, um, raising awareness, you know, and also I suppose getting the, the recognition that um, you did and I suppose getting some of those policy requests, all important work. I assume it's one of your, your career highlights. What I suppose made it a success or how did you really um, drive that? Because I know from working behind the scenes, it is often hard to get, um, as you said, the bureaucracy to, to agree and ministers to agree. So yeah, yeah, what makes good policy work from your mind? Um, it's not easy. And especially in the ag sector, you rarely get an issue where everyone agrees. Um, and that was a good thing about QFever is that everyone thought that we needed to do something about it. Um, and, you know, if we, as long as we went to different organisations and said, hey, this is a solution that we're thinking about, um, here are the steps that we need to implement it. I think everyone was really on board. Um, yeah. Required a lot of persistence. Um, I used to talk about QFever all the time and everyone's like, oh, she's talking about QFever again. <laughs> and I think... The QFever girl. <laughs> I, that's what people called me. Um, which was yeah. a, a really weird nickname to have. Um, but Matt Brand, who was our CEO at New South Wales Farmers, I think he called me the baby-faced assassin one day because um, he's like, you know, you, you look really young and you're really nice to people, but then, like, if you want something, you're going to get it. Um, a, and, a, a great personality trait. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, and that carried forward into, you know, five years of harassing various ministers um, wow. and finally getting money out of them. Well done. Yeah, it is, it is a long slog. And when you look in, you know, one 12 month period, um, sometimes it can feel like a lifetime. Um, mm -hmm. And also the, the winds can sometimes be a bit difficult to identify, but um, Q fever, you know, that, that's a great win and um, something that you should be very proud of. I suppose I want to jump back to the fact that, you know, you, you are a, from a, the city um, and working in agriculture. How have you found um, jumping into the ag space and I suppose, particularly working for an, uh, previously for an association that is so 
tangibly connected to, to farmers. How did you find that? Was it welcoming? Um, yeah, what 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 would you do? Yeah. Yeah. It it was. And I guess it kind of surprised me. Um, but the members that I talked to at New South Wales Farmers, when we actually had conversations, um, though I didn't see a divide there. Um, they all treated me they, you know, they treated me the same as they would treat a staff member who came from regional New South Wales. Um, they didn't assume that I had absolutely zero knowledge of farming. Um, and a lot of the times, you know, they really respected the the position that I brought to, you know, different challenges that they had. Um, I think, you know, a lot of those people working in those organisations, if you put your hand up to be a representative in an organisation like, a, you know, New South Wales Farmers, um, you're probably pretty community minded um, and you're good at dealing with a lot of different people. Um, and I think, you know, people were just really excited that someone um, would be I guess, so interested to come out to their farm and talk about their issues and um, treat them, you know, with respect and have a, a basic understanding of what they were going through. Um, so yeah, often I would go to members um, places or meet them for coffee in town and just have really great chats and that's the thing, it's, it's an epic industry to, to have a chat with. I, I, I know when I um, make my daily phone calls to different growers, um, you know, you, you often have to um, schedule a bit of time, but mm-hmm. it's it's the complete respect. And, you know, sitting in Sydney, I, I'm very envious, particularly of a lot of farmers at the moment who yep. have um, the acres and acres of um, rolling fields as opposed to my four by four apartment in Sydney. <laughs> yes. um, but it is a really welcoming industry. And I think... Um, having people like yourself in the industry um, for, you know, any listeners out there who um, don't come from an ag background. Um, have you got any advice, I suppose, for, for people who really want to um, understand what, what is happening out in the regions and how to main, maintain connection when you do live in a city? Um, yeah, I think it's hard. Um, I think, you know, the, the news that we get shown in the city is quite different to what happens out in the regions um I know when I read you know I read the land um actually when I go to events I often end up in the land like in the social pages and a lot of farmers will message me and be like oh you're in the land again but like that's how personal it can be Mm. um you know everyone people know their local reporters um people know what stories are going on um in their community so I think you know actually keeping a tab on those local Um, news sources is really really useful Um, I think there are a lot of you know efforts by people in regional communities to to kind of I guess bridge in New South Wales bridge the Blue Mountains and um, bring that the west to the east so I'm thinking of things like you know buy from the bush um, areas where you know people can really make a connection with each other Mm. Um, and I think just showing interest in things is really important as well Um, and sharing that passion with other people, um, I constantly am like, you know, to my old high school or to, you know, my old unis being like, I would love to come and talk about the agriculture sector um, to some of your students because I know they're raised in Eastern Sydney and they probably don't know much about it. Um, so being open to those opportunities and making those connections where you can. Exactly. And I think it's something, you know, you and I have discussed um time and time again that we're often referred to as the inner city latte sipping lovers um yeah a a title that we both disagree given that we both Mm -hmm. don't drink um lattes um but 
that whole concept of the divide, um, and it, it's something that I personally have an issue with, that is a divide or is it simply a, just a disconnect that we don't have country city cousins um, as much anymore? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I suppose, how do you combat that? Because I think there genuinely is an interest um, in yeah. what happens in the regions. I agree. I think that divide versus disconnect is really important. Um, first of all, me and all my friends drink flat whites. Um <laughs> So I don't know where this latte thing is. Um, the amount of farmers that I know who love a latte. <laughs> yeah, that's not where yeah. it's coming from. Um, yeah, and I think it's a disconnect in information. Um, people taking what's around them, really. But if you think about, you know, when farmers go through drought, um, and when we have floods or fires, the people who are going out, you know, driving out from cities and supporting them, people who are donating millions and millions of dollars to drought relief or flood support, um, there's there's not a huge divide, I think. And I think that shows it. Um, you know, we have we have massive issues in the cities with small businesses being locked down. Um, you know, similar effects to what you see out in rural Australia with drought. Um, we have economically in Sydney at the moment as well. Um, and I think people, you always, you always seem to see the negative. I think it's a very human thing. Um, so, you know, someone makes a comment about, like, you know, cows contributing to climate change or, you know, there's some misinformation um, about the way that farming is practised in Australia and people really feel that that goes to the very heart of what they do. So Mm. that's kind of what you focus on sometimes. And I feel the same thing because I'm a great, I'm a passionate defender of the ag industry. Um, But I've had conversations with friends who, you know, a lot of my friends are very left-leaning and we have conversations about, you know, live export where I explain to them, you know, the reason why Australia has been involved in live export um, and just the value that we provide to that market that's completely changed their mind in a matter of five minutes. Um, So as long as I think, you you know, you engage willingly and with an open mind um, and considerately, I think it it is the disconnect. It's not the divide. Mm. A lot of people are open to learning a lot more um, and providing support to people in the country. Oh, exactly. And I think it's also because we don't necessarily have that avenue to have a conversation. I know whenever I go to a networking event or when we had, you know, ability to go around to someone's for a barbecue, when meeting new people and you you get asked what industry you work in, when you say agriculture, nine times out of 10 people are more willing to talk to me than my partner who works in toll roads or my mate who's a lawyer like it's very different ag is sexy um to quote david littleproud but it it can be a really fun industry and um, people just want to have a chat so uh, i suppose being a defender of agriculture um and i don't mean to you know make the link too tenderously but working for bayer you know it's Mm -hmm. it's a global leader of um agvet chemicals and pharmaceuticals um and provides a lot of important um technology for farmers to be sustainable how do you find um i suppose those conversations when dealing with um some of the negative media and what i suppose are some of the challenges that um exist when trying to continue to provide those technologies for farmers yeah it's an interesting question and i might be one of the weird people who actually just really loves working in this gray area um science communication is not easy Um, I don't have a degree in communication, so I can't tell you the exact way to get the point across when you're talking about innovative technologies. Um, But I know that I fundamentally believe in 
gene technology and crop protection. Um, so what inspired me to, you know, start working for Bayer is because, you know, I'm, I'm so supportive of the innovations that have been brought to Australian agriculture and global agriculture um, by these R&D innovation companies, um, you know, the effects that it has on the environment and human health um, and, you know, labour and just um, the, you know, the general productivity of agriculture in this country. And I think when you're talking to people who aren't completely across um, how we use innovative technologies, it's really, really useful when you can make that link to something that they care about, like the environment. So talking about no-till farming and the impact on emissions, um, talking about, you know, the absolute revolution that BT cotton had um, in Australia in terms of both productivity uh, and water use, um, things that people just really don't think about. Um, and I always... I always find myself in conversations um, both with people from, you know, the city and from the country talking about climate change and gene technology or chemicals saying, you know, you have to be, we don't have to be, but it's always good to be ideologically consistent on these things. So if we're saying respect the science behind climate change, um, you know, the experts say this is happening and we need to adapt, we also have to apply that ideology to things like glyphosate safety or, you know, any other hazardous chemical that's able to be used safely as per pack instructions or, again, any kind of gene technology or biotechnology that's been approved to be on the market. If the science says that this is happening, um, I think that's an argument that we have to apply to everything um, across the agricultural sector, whether it scares us or not. Oh, and I, I love that in terms of you know you've hit the nail on the head in terms of ideologically being consistent um and it's refreshing to you know be ensured that there's um advocates like yourself working in those roles i suppose how much of your time um working in a public affairs role is taken up by um defending those messages and and ensuring that the technology is still available for farmers um, surprisingly less than you would think. Yeah. Um, Bayer as a company, and I can't speak for other companies, but I know that we have a really good social license to operate among people who know what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so among industry groups and government, um, I talk to all sides of government in this role. Um, and, you know, I haven't had anyone from major parties come to me and say, you know, we have specific concerns about um, this particular technology. Um they're more likely to, you know, talk about the benefit um, that crop protection and gene technology, gene technology have brought to Australia. Um, we talk about, you know, the, the scientific and independent nature of the APVMA and the OGTR, our two main regulators. Yep. Um, and we talk about the work that Bay is doing, you know, overseas. It's not just limited um, to the things that you might know us for, which, you know, Roundup on Cotton. Um, Bay is doing a lot in sustainability as well. Um, we've got different um, projects going on overseas in carbon farming, for example, um, working with smallholders, especially across the Asia Pacific region. Um, so it's it's a company that's bigger than just you know the products that we necessarily sell at your local retailer. Um, and I think a lot of the decision makers understand that. Um, and for Bayer as well, we manufacture some of our products in Australia, which is really, um, 
a really hot topic right now, domestic manufacturing. Yes. <laughs> um, everyone wants to talk about it and that makes me happy because it's something that we do really well. Mm. Um, so I think in this role, which is different to an advocacy role like an estate farming organisation, I get to talk about the good things a lot of the time, um, which when I started kind of freaked me out a bit because I'm like, I'm not asking for money. I'm not talking about problems. I'm talking about the good things that we do. Um, and I don't have to ask for help on anything. Like this is really strange. Um, so it's a, it's a different kind of job. Yeah, it must be such a, a gear shift. Um, yeah, And particularly, I suppose, um, working for such a company that has not only works in the agricultural space, but the pharmaceutical space and um, the brand recognition yeah. that it has, but also its international footprint. Um, you mentioned sustainability and it, it is very much a, the hot topic um, when it comes to a lot of agricultural conversations. Um, you know, we've just recently done a, a survey through um, FFN and the term sustainability keeps coming out as something that um, young growers and farmers and those that work in the ag industry want to understand more. Um, do you think it's going to become, move away from being, um, I suppose, a tack on to businesses, but become, I suppose, the foundation and we don't necessarily have to talk about sustainability. It just is the operating environment that we're in. Um, you'd hope so. Um, and you'd hope that, you know, any market would reflect those sustainability credentials. Mm. Um, you know, you hope that there's a market incentive for doing that as well because um, we can all go out and talk about sustainability in terms of PR, but people just don't listen. Um, we've had 15 to 20 years of greenwashing um, since, I guess, this sustainability movement became mainstream. Um, it is just what's expected of companies nowadays. Um, if you're going to do something in sustainability, you better make it pretty interesting for people to pay attention. Um, and I think companies who who don't embrace it are going to be left behind because, you know, we already see things that are happening in the EU in terms of um, their green diplomacy. Um, you know, we don't know what's going to come down the line in terms of how that's going to hit us in our trade agreements, um, but that is the new norm. That's what, ex what our trading partners are going to expect. Um, it's, um, you know, adapt or perish, I think. No, you're right. The, the trading environment is one that um, I deal with on a daily basis in, in yes. my job at Grain Growers and it it is complex and there's so many players and um, I suppose who's the first mover and who's um, going to set the landscape is always the, the concerning part um, of that story too. Um, in terms of, I suppose, your role in the industry, Ali, I, you know, I, I value your friendship and um, always see your name um, as a an incredible woman in the industry I suppose women in ag um, I know it's a cause that you're particularly passionate about um, yeah. and that you're a member of uh, many leading women's um, organizations in either in a voluntary capacity or otherwise um, what do you think needs to be done in the space to ensure that um, women continue to to be promoted and um, have a voice in the industry um, I think well firstly I think that so much good has been done in the last couple of years um, I think when I started, you know, in this sector a decade ago, um, I can definitely see a change in terms of representative organisations um, and the women that are coming to the front, um, which has been based on a lot of, you know, goodwill and investment from those organisations to, to pull, you know, really good people through um, and not rely, I guess, necessarily on the same faces or the same experiences that they've always had 
because when you're talking about advocacy and lobbying, um, I think you need to reflect the different experiences that people have when you're talking to them. Um, so as we say, you know, more women and people of colour coming into parliament, I think the industry needs to change to reflect that as well. Um, I don't think they're necessarily always going to listen to the same people, you know, who have gone there for 50, 60 years telling the same story. Um, people want something new and they want something dynamic and they want stories that are told by people who look like them, essentially. Mm. Um, I think um, just the the training opportunities that lots of different industry bodies have given women, um, women and men, younger people coming through the agriculture sector over the past decade have been fantastic and the inclusion and diversity has really improved. Um, but what I'd say is that inclusion and diversity is not just gender. Um, we've done a fantastic job with getting women representatives um, and now we need to expand that a little bit, I think. Um, we need to reflect society and we need to reflect the people that actually do grow our food and fibre. Um, and I know that there's a couple of initiatives springing up out there that kind of take that diversity lens beyond, you know, just what what we can do by adding two women to our board. It's more um, how can we get a different, a diversity of ideas um, and a diversity of experiences uh, that isn't just the traditional model in Australian agriculture. Exactly. And it's also, you know, reflecting our consumers as well. Um, yeah, exactly. Or internationally, people want to feel, going back to the point of connected and um, want to have that conversation um, with with growers, it's also having that conversation with with our consumers as well. Um, speaking of women's organisations, I believe you're a member of the the good old CWA. Yes. Um, I suppose how does how does that work? Living in the city, um, being a member of a, an organisation of which the first word is country. <laughs> we have a lot of um, branches of the CWA in the city. Um, funnily enough, so I'm a member of the mascot branch. Um, it, I, I guess, it isn't really expected um people are still always shocked when they find out that there is a mascot branch of the cwa um it's an organization that i joined because i saw the amazing work it did in the advocacy space um i'm not there to to knit because i just can't do it um there are women with amazing skills who have tried to teach me how to crochet and do different things but how's your scones oh god okay i'm a decent baker <laughs> i cannot make scones for the life of me like it's, it's actually embarrassing <laughs> They turn up like hockey pucks. Oh gosh! <laughs> um, so that's that's not what I'm there for because I can't really help on that front. Yeah. Um, I'm more there, I guess, to try and bring my experiences in advocacy um, and lobbying and try and help the organisation that way. Um, you know, connect them in with different um, different other organisations um, and different campaigns that are going on, um, and also you know raise more awareness about issues that affect regional Australia. Um, within our our communities in Sydney, um, which is great. So we go to you know barbecues, we go to markets, we do the you know the the stall outside of Bunnings, um, and yep. we have really good chats with people um, just coming in who want to learn about the CWA and the work that the whole organisation is doing. Um, and there's so much goodwill I think in those conversations. Um, I especially saw that through the drought. Um, so many people wanted to come and have a chat about how they could help or, you know, just hear people's stories. Um, and I think that goes back to the, you know, the disconnect question. Mm. Um, that That's what's really inspiring about working with the CWA is that I see that being bridged. 
No, that's great. I think I'm going to have to hit you up about um, a membership, Ali. Yes, um, good. <laughs> I suppose on to my favourite part um, about uh, doing these podcasts is picking your brain about, um, and I suppose a bit of advice um, for some of our listeners who, I suppose, are either starting their career or looking to continue to progress it or maybe just at a crossroads. Um, but I suppose the, the big question I love asking and finding out is what do you wish you it, you knew before you started or what's some advice for younger Ali? Um, God, this is the hard one because I've always known everything, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, my advice for my younger self would be to just go for it. Um, I think sometimes, you know, I, I had a conversation with someone the other day who was like, when you are academically minded at school, you're used to being very good at everything. Um, you know, you're used to getting top marks and praised. Um, and then you enter the real world and you find out that you're not good at everything. And that can really take a hit to your ego. Um, I think something that's really served me well is when I learned to just let it go, um, to try something. And if I fail at it, it's not the end of the world. Um, I, I think I really put that into practice when I did a science degree, despite being absolutely rubbish. I didn't even do maths in year 11 and 12 at high school. Oh, wow. So <laughs> bad with numbers. But that's what I told myself, right? Yeah. Because um, I, you know, I, I didn't quite understand maths. And I was like, you know, I can never do anything in science or maths because I'm just not good at it. Mm. Um, and then I ended up doing an agriculture degree and getting a high distinction average. Um, so it's like, you know, I, I was good at this, you know, the whole way along. Um but then there's, you know, there's things sometimes when you're like, oh, I've written the perfect media release um, because, you know, I'm, I'm great at writing. And then I get it back and, you know, a boss has put a, a million different lines through it and I haven't gotten it quite right. And it's being able to bounce back from those things and learn from them hmm. um, yeah, rather that- than being afraid to have a go in the first place. Exactly. And it's that whole, I suppose, mindset of fail fast. Um, I, I think failure is such a beautiful um, concept because without it, you don't have success. But yeah. I know it can be so confronting. I know from my own career, um, doing things different from what I said I would probably when I first started studying, I was going to be a foreign diplomat and I was going to work yeah. in a foreign embassy and that was going to be my career. And now I'm working in agricultural trade, not too different, I suppose, in the trade space, mm-hmm. but it's certainly not, you know, a cushy desk in, in Washington, D.C. by any means. Um, yeah, I think I wanted that job too. I didn't know what else was out there. Exactly. And I think a lot of people that probably studied our politics, international yeah. relations sort of side of things all thought they were going to become members of the West Wing. Yeah, um, or, or, you know, a, a representative to the UN. That's what we yeah. all thought on the, <laughs> in the first year of uni. Yeah. Oh, the, the, those were the days. Um, yeah. You know, you, you mentioned also that you've when you're at New South Wales Farmers doing a bit, um, well, not a bit, but quite a lot in the, the Young Farmer Council. Um, what are, I suppose, some opportunities that you see for next-gen Aggies and, and what are they going to face? Um, I suppose not necessarily challenges, but I suppose they could be challenges, but how do they make them opportunities? What, what's something that they should be looking towards? Mm, this one, that's a good question. Um, I think that we, we have an opportunity probably in the next 10 years of new leaders coming through. Um, what you often see in advocacy organisations is that you get a great young set of people up to the age of about 35 um, and then you're probably missing a big chunk between 35 and 50. Um, and then once you get past 50, people start coming back in. Um, so I think it's going to be tough to kind of, I guess, fill in that gap. Um, but I hope that, you know, the the training um, and the support and the development that's been on offer by different 
industry bodies and by government over you know the past decade um, will really help fill that. Um, I think you know there's heaps of opportunities for people to start getting out there and telling their story and not being limited by you know being a woman or living in a really really remote area um, or being a person of color. Um, I think there's so much more room for those stories to really shine through and resonate with people now. Um, and I think it's it's the connections that you make. Um, and one thing that I've always advised that, you know, be nice to people because you'll never know where you're going to see them again. Um, exactly. This is, a very, very, <laughs> this is a very small industry. Um, so much that, you know, I just, I think I imported most of my like industry contacts from my old phone to my new one. Um, because they're the people that I'm working with again in this job it's the same people um so I don't think you'll ever regret being kind to someone that's probably my number one thing oh exactly people have um long memories in ag Um, I know people still refer to oh your mother did this um, which is always (laughs) quite mortifying um uh, you know when you look at um, young Aggies um, and, and maybe it's you sitting in a, a university lecture hall or a farm, um, a young farmer out on farm, what's some skills that you think they should be equipping themselves to? Obviously be nice and um, you never know where, where you might see someone again, but are there anything that either soft skills or hard skills that people should be arming themselves with? Well, it's always good to learn how to negotiate. And I don't say that just in terms of actually having to do a negotiation, but being able to listen to different people's points of view and being able to pinpoint what the one thing is, you know, what's driving them, what's their need, um, and then how can I, you know, probably shape a conversation or a policy idea around that. Um, I think being able to see both sides of an argument is of incredible benefit. Um, and I know a lot of people, you know, will go through uni um, doing those hard degrees like engineering or ag or something like that. Um, But I think the real benefit of an arts degree, as much as we are derided, um, is being able to, you know, see both sides of the situation and do that critical thinking and come to a conclusion um, and do it in a way that uses a lot of soft people skills. Um, And so why that, you know, there might not be something that you can get a certificate for or, you know, get a formal qualification. Um, I think actually understanding how people work Um, how you can communicate with them and then how you can get what you want out of those conversations is really important Um, as much as, you know, business skills or actual, you know, on-farm technical skills. Oh, definitely. Negotiation skills down pat are so critical. And even if it's just for negotiating your how you're employed um starting yep. out your career it's so critical and, and a lot of it does come with practice um but it's also i suppose um reaching out to to mentors and leaders um mm. that can can help you to that mentors and leaders who who do you look up to ali do you have a formal mentor or are there people that you use as your sounding board to get advice from um i wouldn't say i have a formal mentor but i've had different bosses um you know, one in the Department of Ag and one in particular at New South Wales Farmers um, that I bounce a lot of ideas off, especially, um, you know, when I'm thinking about my career. Um, I was lucky to go into a New South Wales Farmers at a time um, when they just had the most amazing diverse set of policy directors. Um, so when I was coming in as a, you know, a, a young policy advisor, um, there were so many great people there that I, I grew with um, and so many different people who came into that organisation at different times when I was there that helped me so much um, and that I still keep in touch with 
And I think sometimes you find those mentors in places that you don't expect. Um, I know, yeah, even some contacts that I've had with different stakeholders have ended up, you know, in those kind of relationships. Um, Yeah, but even, you know, there there are some farmers that have really helped me Mm. as well um, in, in my career. Um, so I think my, my most important one, a lot of people in the grains industry know a man called Robert Hardy. Um, so shout out to him for being one of my, my go-to mentors. Um, he's someone else who, who's not from the ag industry, um, but is, is pretty good at getting his head around it, um, Mm. and, and helping me navigate it and has been instrumental to my career. Oh, well, shout out to Rob. I, I do know him and he's a, a, a great um, ally to the industry. And I, I love that line of people to grow with. Um, Ali, one last question. What are you curious about? What in the ag industry makes you excited and really, I suppose, get up in the morning and, and embrace lockdown um, and know that this industry is, is going forward in great um, strides? Um, it might be a very bad answer, but I think biotechnology um, is the most exciting thing for me. It's the thing I've gotten most passionate about um, over my whole ag career. Um, the idea that we can just like change plants, that's so crazy to me. But like the actual benefits that come from that, including, you know, alleviating poverty and um, the environmental solutions that we can take from that is absolutely astounding. And I do not understand genetics I don't understand plant genetics. I don't understand phenomics. Uh, I'm going to leave that to the experts. Um, but it's that. And then it's also the ability to tell that story to different people as well, um, to see other people get excited about that. I think um, that really, really drives me. Um, and I'm going to answer your question with another one, even though you said one. Um, the other thing is um, just getting the opportunity to talk to younger women in the industry um, and younger people, not just women, Um, but the opportunity to pull them up behind me. Um, One of the great things about New South Wales Farmers Young Farmer Council was, you know, being able to identify talent um, within young members of the organisation. And if they put their hand up for something, um, we could take them so far um, and, you know, really, really, I guess, excel their career in ag advocacy. Um, So it's not just that, it's, you know, careers in agriculture in general, Um, I've had the opportunity to mentor other women in this in this industry um, and that's what really excites me as well when I see them succeed and even do better than I do um, that's really exciting but that that's the thing Ali their success is, is your success and I I have watched you at events um, and you know I'm always admiring how you um, make people feel like it's it is a great space to be a part of and whenever um, your name is mentioned in the industry I know um, at the FFN board meeting when I mentioned that I'll be interviewing you um, everyone knew who you were so um, that's kudos <laughs> to you <laughs> so um, you know thank you um, and thank you for for allowing some time to have a good yarn today. Um, it's always great to see passionate um, individuals like yourself in the industry and, and keep up the great work. Um, we really appreciate um, the work that you do and the championing that you do in the in the urban spaces for, for agriculture. So um, thank you. Thanks, Amelia. No worries. To our FFN podcast listeners, thanks again for your support for our um, Mentor of the Month podcast. Be sure to follow Future Farmers Network on Facebook, Instagram or LinkedIn or sign up to our weekly newsletter for more information about our upcoming guests, exciting projects and events. Until next month, thank you for listening and take care. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out the Business of Farming. 
a series of recordings from the Young Farmer Business Program Conference, featuring some of the best minds in business and primary production.